we had some of the best stunt performers in the world. Like punches, just punches or kicks or th- things in that bus fight were being done so fast by one of our key stunt performers that we had to tell him to slow down because it wasn't <laughs> catching on, on screen. Hello, and welcome back to The Director's Cut, brought to you by the Directors Guild of America. Today's episode takes us behind the scenes of director Destin Daniel Cretton's new fantasy adventure, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. The film welcomes a new superhero into the Marvel Cinematic Universe, telling the story of a martial arts master who must confront the past he thought he'd left behind when he is drawn into the web of the mysterious Ten Rings organization. In addition to Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, Mr. Cretton's other directorial credits include the feature films Just Mercy, The Glass Castle, Short Term 12, and I Am Not a Hipster. The documentaries Drachmar, A Vassal's Journey, and Born Without Arms, and episodes of the television series Tokyo Vice and Scenes for Minors. Following a recent screening of the film at the DGA Theater in Los Angeles, Mr. Cretton spoke with fellow director John M. Chu about filming Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings. Listen on for their spoiler-filled conversation. Oh, but John's movie was my favorite movie of the year, so this is a, it's a it's a it's a very real honor to have this conversation. Oh my gosh, are you kidding me? I'm so psyched this weekend! Holy moly, you did it! You did it, dude! I'm like literally jumped up and down all weekend with my kids, with my wife, with my family, calling back home. They all went to go see it. It's like I uh, I didn't get to enjoy that. Um, you know, when, when we were doing Crazy Rich Asians and, and going into the theater, like it was, you know, your movie, so you just don't. But I got to feel it this time in all its glory. And I'm just so, I mean, even I was in tears out here seeing it. I felt like Shang-Chi when the rings burst out of that. Uh, and we get to talk to you first after this weekend. How does it, how does it feel to have the number one movie in the world? Um... I mean, it's a strange time to release. I knew that was going to be my first question. So it's just like, well, how simple? <laughs> it's, a, it's a really weird time to have a movie in theaters right now. Um, I, yeah, it, I, like you probably know, the ups and downs of this um, occupation, the emotional ups and downs are so weird that I, whenever a movie is releasing, I just try not to look at anything. And But it's nice to be here tonight with all of you. <laughs> And, and so who who calls you during the weekend? Like, who tells you it's working? Uh, yeah, a bunch of people. You know, I like, <laughs> like there's a lot of, typically I don't ever get hit up by agents in my own agency. Um, but <laughs> Asians um, or agents? Just, <laughs> <laughs> but for whatever reason, in the, you know, if, if you, if you have a movie that's doing well, then all of a sudden every agent, like I have like, <laughs> 30 emails from people I've never talked nice. to before nice. in the agency saying congratulations. So that's one clue that it's doing all right. And you get to talk to Simu and Aquafina? Yeah, I've gotten to hang out with them like the last week. So we've been jumping all over the place and answering the same questions over and over and over until our brains are mush. <laughs> um, thanks. No pressure. <laughs> <Jesus>. <laughs> Um, you know, what I'm, I'm so s- struck by when I watch this movie is your presence in it. Cause I imagine like Marvel's just this giant machine 
Um, how did you navigate that? And how did you know this, you were going to do this movie as your first big VFX movie, first big? Yeah. Um, I mean, all I know is my own experience at Marvel. Um, I, I, I had the thought before I took this job that I did not want to jump into a giant machine and just get chewed up. Yeah. And, and, but I, I had a conversation with a few directors who had worked with Marvel um, and particularly directors that I clearly was able to see their voice in the final product and movies that I truly loved and asked them what that process was like. Mm-hmm. And they, I mean, they had nothing but positive things to say about the experience. And I also feel the same way. I, I never once felt like a, a cog in a machine. I, I felt really um, supported. I felt more, you know, honestly more supported than any studio I've worked with. Um, I, I, I never felt like the battle, the, the creative battle was never within the people that I'm working with. It's always just time. And, and then in our case, it was time and COVID that we were battling. You guys were shooting uh, before COVID and during it? Or how did that... Yeah, we shot for about two months. And then I had my second child two months into production. Um, <laughs> and then a week after that... COVID hit and shut us down, which, you know, it sucked, but it also let me be at home with my newborn for three months. So that was great. So, so you, so you, so you had a baby and then you came back to it. Did that change? Do you think your the movie changed from that? Majorly. Oh, really? Oh uh, yeah. I mean, um, we, we had a huge, I mean, that, that giant third act, um, craziness that you guys just experienced. Um, it was right before the shutdown that I finally figured out what I wanted the characters to be doing in that third act um, battle. But it was like, I was, I was up, you know, till two, three in the morning trying to write while in pre-production and production and trying to figure out what that giant third act was going to be. And being able to have that time during COVID to, to really refine it and figure out a lot of problems before we shot was, was actually very beneficial. Mm. I mean, I loved it. Just growing up in a Chinese restaurant with the lions there and the dragons and to see it like in motion, it was very emotional. It was very like these characters that I've known my whole life suddenly had real personalities and things. It was, it was very moving in mm. that. Um, well, that's wonderful. I, I am not Chinese, of Chinese um, descent. My uh, great-grandparents are, came over to Hawaii from Japan. But in, in Hawaii, um, it's one of the, the you know, has the highest, one of the highest percentages of, of, um, of Asian populations in the country. And, but it's a mix. It's like a total mix. And, and, so even though I was raised Japanese, the, the, the local culture there, what is a, there's a huge Chinese population that, and Korean and Filipino um, and, it's, and, and Thai, and, and it's all just mixed together in the food, the, the language. And, and so to be able to 
have a, a reason to delve into this, this one part of my upbringing, which is the Chinese. Like I, I just knew like this much because of my exposure to my friends who are, who are Chinese. And, but to be able to have a, a reason to really explore it and understand the similarities to my culture, to my grandparents' culture, and and the and the differences. Um, what, but it, it was a very enriching process for me. And you worked with Dave Callahan. Would you walk us through, like, because this is a very the comics are very problematic to say the least in some of the things. And so you had to tackle. I don't even envy that position of looking at this stuff and like, how do we redefine it? One, what made you say yes? I'm going to go jump into that. There's so many landmines. And two, how did you and Dave figure that out? I'm not sure if anyone's familiar with the comics, but the comics did have a, a lot of pretty, um, at least to, an, to any Asian American or Asian, there's a, they're, they're uh, pretty offensive in, in a lot of ways. You know, sometimes very offensive and sometimes just very outdated. Um, that was my number one concern when I went and even met on this. Uh, one, you're starting... You're, you're starting a, a project with a stereotype, a, a kung fu superhero. Um, and when you read those comics, there's you could easily just perpetuate all of these Asian stereotypes that we've seen forever. But Marvel was very, right off the bat, told us, we know. Like, we don't want to do any of that. Um, and then I met with Dave Callahan, who's Chinese-American, and we both were just very scared, but, but equally excited um, to, to update all of these characters in a way that felt, I don't know, so that just felt like, I mean, honestly, that felt like your movie. Like when the, when the first time I saw Crazy, Crazy Rich, Rich Asians, I was just bawling like within the first act of the movie, there wasn't even anything sad happening, but I, but I was bawling because I, I, I didn't even realize what I was missing until I was just seeing these characters kind of just talking like my friends, you know? And, um, and so we, we wanted to, um, to, for me, go even deeper and, and set it in America and have them, you know, sound just like my Asian American friends. And, and that was like super, super exciting to, to, um, to do with, with, with Dave. Yeah, I feel like when, um, I think there's a line that, uh, that Tony says in it that says you spent your whole life, um, entire life always running, always hiding. Like that's what I always felt about my own cultural identity. Like I always just wanted to like hide and make it about movie making. So it was really to hear some of those words of the, or even her, uh, of Aquafina, you know, being told that if you, you can't hit anything if you don't, I don't remember the words, but it was great if, right. if you don't, uh, like to if me, if that's, you, if you, what is it? If you aim at nothing, you hit nothing. Yeah. Yeah. I should, I need to like tattoo that on my, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's everything that your parents say to you. It's, it's very, and then and there was something, and there was an exuberance to that. So whatever that, However, you guys did that. Uh, it was it's a, it's it's amazing. What I also noticed is also very scared of like how is a martial arts going to be? Like that is such a thing that I don't know any martial arts, and um, and it's hard to be defined by that. But at the same time, it is a part of our culture. Yeah. And I felt watching this was it was 
not fighting for fighting. It was an expression. Um, what was your philosophy going into this? And by the way, every single fight was just mesmerized. I mean, just on fighting level. I'm, it's like, yeah. I mean, the, yeah, it's a weird thing because like Bruce Lee is, excuse my language, fucking cool. Um, mm-hmm. And there's no denying it. Um, the To me, like the, the problem of how that became a stereotype was because there, there just wasn't any other option. There wasn't like also the really cool, I mean, nobody talks about the fact that Bruce Lee was actually first a dancer, yeah. you know, and um, that he, if his dancing also took off and somehow he became the best dancer in the world, that would have been become the cliche. And we would all have people going like, oh, you're Asian. Can you dance like Bruce Lee? Um, (laughs) But what's exciting is that right now we're in, we're in a world where we can do a movie like crazy rich Asians or this movie and just show people variety. Like it's not. And, and to me, the, the variety of personalities of, of characters, even in this, I mean, primarily everyone's of Chinese descent, but like everyone's so different, so drastically different. And uh, to me, that that's, that's one of the ways to, to break the stereotypes. And there was um, all the different styles of martial arts. Was, was, did you guys break that down? And how did you work with the the stunt coordinator or? Yeah. I mean, I, um, I took um, Taekwondo for, about two days when I was a little kid. (laughs) And that's the extent of my martial arts knowledge. I was very um, nervous about that, that part of this because uh, I wanted to look at the action, the fighting, uh, not only, I just didn't want it to become a shtick or contribute to like a, a a cliche. Um, And to me, what Brad Allen, Brad Allen is, um, he's been in the game. He, he, he trained under Jackie Chan. You'd actually recognize him in some of Jackie Chan's uh, movies. But what he came to us with when I first met him was a deep, deep respect for the culture. um, And, for the art form. Um, what he did was surround, surround himself uh, with choreographers from Hong Kong, from mainland China, um, some of the best stunt performers in the world um, who, who were all, I mean, primary, most of them were, were wushu champions uh, before they even came into cinema. So they're, mm. they are, they're not only trained in, in the physical art, but also the spiritual art and the, the mental art that's behind every move. Um, so that, and that respect that they had for the art form was, to me, just as important as creating, you know, wow moments in their choreo. Um, and the second thing that I think is a really important part of being trained in the Jackie Chan camp is that they are, they're not just trained as martial artists. They're trained as storytellers and as filmmakers. They, they are trained to, to know when to cut, how long you can physically 
have a, a hold a shot before an, a stunt performer or actor can will shut down how many moves it takes. I, and they'll, they'll kind of figure that out. Uh, Simu can do this many moves before we have to cut. Um, mm. If we're using a, a certain stu- stunt, stunt double, oh, they can do this many moves before we have to cut. Um, mm. uh, they also, it's camera placement. But, but primarily, the, the biggest thing that I really wanted was storytelling, to always be present and clear, a, a, a clear narrative in every fight. And to me, that's, for, for me, who's not an action director, I, I actually often, very often tune out when, as soon as action hit starts, I, I start to drift. Unless it, it's, it's certain specific movies that are so good at it because the narrative within each fight is so is so clear and compelling. And to me, that was one of the greatest uh, contributions of the late Brad Allen uh, to to our movie. And are you are you there um, to like? How does the rehearsal period? Do you re- rehearse with the actors first for the scene, and then they go to fight rehearsal, and then you come in and you've seen sort of cuts, and you start to meld the two together, or do you put that on? Like, how do you work? How do you find this where the seams connect? It's just a, it's like a beautiful chaos. <laughs> um, I, uh, we, we start with the script. The, the choreographers are, will, will meet and we'll talk through the, the, the points that we want um, our actors to be hitting and what, how we just start brainstorming ideas of how mm-hmm. the, the fight sequence could could help us mm-hmm. tell the story and have so let's talk about the, the bus sequence specifically i there. mean the bus sequence is so plot heavy that it was yeah i mean there's there the bus sequence was something that i that i actually pitched to to marvel in my pitch my initial pitch <laughs> um nice. which was having a, a fight sequence that really was an exercise in just stakes raising and it's just to me, like the the narrative plot of that is is just as important as all of the the choreo. And what I love about it was we gave Brad and his team the stakes that are like we knew that that the brakes had to go out, and we knew Razor Fist was going to cut it. We we then knew we wanted a beat where Shang Chi is like has to figure out how to drive the thing <laughs> while he's fighting. Um, and then we knew Katie would, but we don't know what the choreo is going to be in between, but we knew what all the beats were and we knew we wanted those stakes to keep raising. And once we had figured out what those beats were, what the story was going to be all the way to the end, then we literally got the, got one of those bus buses and had it shipped down to, to LA and just threw the choreographers in there with their stunt team. And they just started figuring out what kind of things they can do within that space, within, within the context of this, the story that we've created. And it really is those like, those obstruction, the story obstructions that we create for them that they love because mm. then they're not just kicking and punching. They can be creative in how to get from point A to point B. So getting that bus was super critical because that probably changed everything of what you thought according yeah. to space and... And they were like, I mean, um, Florian, who plays Razor Fist, is a big dude. And they didn't realize, like, when he stood up, he, could, he was almost touching the top of that buff. 
So there's a lot of times where he just, if he just did that, it was boom. Um, and did you adjust any of the buzz for that? No, no. 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 So that's didn't. like a real interior of a bus, or did you guys make it yeah, a little wider? It's a real bus. Oh, wow. Um, we bought uh, a few, um, a number of them from like that were out of service. And we sent one down here to LA to practice in before we went to Sydney. And then we shipped two of them out to Sydney on a barge. And one of them was in a stage up. We had one on a stage that was more for for the flat stuff that would just kind of move like this. And then we had a second one up 20 feet up in the air that was on a, a mechanical gimbal that we had two guys in like a little booth just with joysticks and it could go 45 degrees. So, so it could do all of the hills and do the turns and it could twist. And I don't know how those actors survived because we were in there for a month and I went up there for they, for the test and I was up there for five minutes and I, I thought I was going to barf. It was, (laughs) I, I got so, it was so weird being twisted around and but yeah it turned out and that was that was green screen not like uh stagecraft or any of that kind of stuff the screens oh no no we didn't we uh, yeah we didn't do any of those any of that stuff like that yeah and 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 was this um was i mean one i think that sequence is one of the best sequences i've ever seen you you can see i mean you can tell simu's there like he's doing it um, how important was that for you to have actors that could fight and be seen while they're doing this? I felt like across the board, I could see everybody. I wasn't, nothing was being hidden. I mean, that's awesome um, because there's a lot being hidden. <laughs> <laughs> you got me. You got me. It's good. It's, I mean, it's in, incredibly important to to have actors who are able to, I mean, for, for me, I don't think you see me would have, would have been able to get to the places that he needed to be um, emotionally or just holding himself as a fighter if he didn't go through that intense training. And it, it was pretty intense. So it was like four months of straight training. And, he, and by the time we were, we were there, um, he was doing things that, that nobody thought he would be able to do by then. I mean, in the same breath, I don't want to take things away from our, our stunt people. They're in this a lot. And, and uh, I, I don't talk about it a lot in the press because it's like cooler to say that the actors are doing everything. But we had some, some of the best stunt performers in the world in martial arts doing the craziest stuff. Like some of those punches, just punches or kicks or th- things in that bus fight were were being done so fast by one of our key stunt performers that we had to tell him to slow down because it wasn't <laughs> catching on on screen. Um, and it still looks like it's sped up to me. How, but it, but that's these guys were so so good, so dedicated, mm. and so sweet and humble. And it was it was such a unique joy to to work with with them uh the, and it was such a cool combo because you know there's a 
there's always like a lot of political things happening in the world. And there was a lot happening and there still is over overseas in that area. But it was so cool to have a production where we had some of the best stunt performers from Hong Kong, some of the best stunt performers from, from mainland China coming together. And it was just like brotherhood. Mm. I, I mean, it was so, so fun to have them. And since we're all, so we're DGA here. Um, I, how is working even with a second unit director or any of that? I don't even know how much or little, but like, how do you communicate with that? I think that was like a shock to me. It was like, oh my gosh, there's an, someone has got to work with. I've got, they've got to be in our style. Yeah. Um, how was that experience for you? This is your first time. Yeah, that, it's right? my it's my first time doing having a, a second unit director. Um, I had no idea what it was going to be like. Um, the way that we worked was primarily we would do the first the first pass of every scene um so we were we we were actually our unit was in that bus fight for about 4 weeks um shooting wow. and and wow. we weren't we were just kind of for that scene we left a handful of like the the things that we just knew were going to take way too long that we could do with a stunt person and it wasn't the main main actors but but typically the rule was if it's a if it's one of the main actors we do it and if it's something that a stunt performer could could do we would put it on the second unit potential list and if we can get to it we get to it and if not was there growing pains ever with that of like hey you got to shoot it like this like we've got to get our rhythm together i mean one good thing we had is bill bill pope our our dp um had worked with brad allen on a number of movies before um so there wasn't like a lot of ego battling sometimes you could I suppose I've heard that you can get that between first and second unit. Um, it was just like uh, me and Bill would just go through, oh, we want this, 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 this. Mm. And that we knew was helping to set the aesthetic of that scene. Mm. And once, and we would be able to cut together that section and then second unit was basically able to see how, what the aesthetic of the scene was and then go through and fill in the blanks. And that's generally how it was. I mean, there's always times when, hits the fan and and second unit and first unit are just going at the same time because an actor has to be shot out or whatever but yeah. um and one of the best things you do if you haven't if you're not following him on instagram it's like every day he's doing he's, he's showing a crew member and talking about them and what they've done and it's and i love reading it it's like the mo i, I feel like an not doing that and so uh but it's really interesting i and so uh tell me about like working with some of these people like well, your AD, uh, who I think you said some really Jeff, um, yeah, Jeff. really, really kindly, and and also your your production designer because the design is so oh, striking. Yeah, um, I mean, I started posting that on it was a few mo- few movies ago, and a part of it is like it's my own way of reminding myself of why why I do this, and it's usually leading up until opening weekend, which. Um, at least for me, is not my favorite time in the filmmaking process. <laughs> and uh, I, it's the time where I feel like I have no control <laughs> over this thing. And I'm just like, uh, but, but part, of my, part of my coping mechanism a few movies back was making these Instagram posts of people find, uh, that I'd take 
take photos of and try to learn about their job or learn about why they got into the business. And then I just post them. But to me, like, you, um, it's weirdly selfish. It's about, it's like me just reminding myself of like, Oh yeah, I did. I, I made this movie because of the, the process of making it was so awesome. Um, and it, it doesn't matter what happens this weekend. So, the, so that's part of the reason why I do that. Um, Jeff, I was actually just texting with him on the way here. Jeff Okabayashi has worked on some crazy movies. Um, he actually started in the in the DGA that what is, yeah the training program. Mm-hmm. I think he was wow. like I don't know if he was an accountant or something. I don't know what, he, but he he just he he just kind of defied his parents and went to into the DGA training program. Um, and has been doing it ever since. And he's done some of the biggest, most complicated movies uh, up up to this date. And for me, what was so amazing about him was that when the stress level went up, and sometimes it went like red hot for him, where the schedule was just like seemed impossible to figure out. When the stress level went up, it's like his his joy somehow went up. <laughs> it was so weird. And he would always just say, it's fine. I've worked with Michael Mann. This is fine. Or like, I mean, he would just like, he would, he'd talk, you know, he'd talk about the, the crate, like he'd talk about working on pirates. And it's like, ah, there's some one time on pirates. And it's fine. We're making a movie. We're making a movie. Um, and that I don't know that that type being around that type of uh, joy is is really important for me um, to re, to remind to remind me, me of uh, that you know that this should be fun. We're just playing make believe. Um, Su Chan had that same mentality. This this I, I believe this is probably her biggest movie. She she had never done like a giant movie as as a as a production designer before, and to to Marvel's credit, um, even though t- you know typically production design they'll they'll go with a, a a veteran, but she she had a really great pitch and a really great vision, and it was, I mean, it was like I guess a risk, I don't but. She killed it from day one, just killed it, um, and was was just impressing not only the studio, but she she led one of the biggest teams on, on set. And you talk to anybody, you talk to the intern, you talk to, and everybody loves her and are so motivated by her. Um, and... Yeah, that that just like I don't know that that really moves me. And now, like now that this movie's done, I I can't stop. Like everybody calls me, not to talk to me. They're calling me to say, "How is it working with Sue Chan?" Because we want to <laughs> hire her. And I'm like, "Yeah, she's awesome. Yeah, Sue's awesome." That's amazing. Well, we're out of time, but I just I wanted to say that I. I've looked up to you for many, many years. Uh, Short Term 12 is a movie that I keep very close to my heart of how performances can be truthful, how stories can be authentic. And 
So when I see you here and see what you've achieved and see how it makes me feel, not even knowing you, just sitting in the audience of, a, of watching this thing, it is so fulfilling. I am so, I needed this joy in my life. Um, so I, one, personally want to thank you. And two, as sort of our last thing before we get out of here is, does, this has been a tough year. Uh, when that dragon, when those two are fighting, it feels like the year for Asian Americans. <laughs> and I think a lot of people are feeling what you put up on there. I don't know how, when you came up with that, I don't know, but uh, what do you hope people get out of this? And what do you hope for yourself? What, do you, what, what has changed you personally, not just in your movie making, but personally from, from this experience? In, in the middle of shooting this movie, um, it, it was it was strange because I, I was directing these scenes full, full of Asian talent, and it was the first, it just hit me that I didn't, I didn't realize up until that point that I'd never done it, which is kind of weird, but I, I just... I think I, I just became so used to doing things with non-Asian creative people that I was like, it, I didn't even feel the loss until I was surrounded by it mm. with people who understood the quirkiness of my mom and grandma and the food and the c culture. And, and it was so, it was, it was such a, a joyful, fulfilling process. At the same time, um, you know, the, the pandemic hit and we collectively, this com community of people who are, who are pouring ourselves into this project, started seeing these, these terrible images of, of um, people who just look like my grandma or my grandpa walking down the street getting beat the shit out of. Um, and and it's, it is like when I watch, when, I, when we, I think we look at those things, it's like you can't help but just see your grandma, who you re love and respect more than anyone in the world. Um, so there, there's, there is a, a part of us that, I don't know, it opened up a lot of conversations when we're on, on set, and it, it's... When, when I see an image like that, the first thing I can think of is there is no way that that person would do that to that grandma if they knew who she was. Um, if they could see her in the context of her family, they could see her ability to love, they could see her relationships, there's no way they would do that. And that's, that's what we tried to infuse into this movie. Where characters that that you regardless of what your culture is that you can hopefully relate to um personally or or look or see attributes in them that um that you you can see members of your own family or or people that you love so you even though it is a a giant superhero movie i i hope that's one of the the byproducts of it. I also hope that I don't know that 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 people just see this as a a moment to celebrate. Um, our our community has gone through pain. I think every community has gone through so much pain, and we 
your movie really did this to me. Like when we were when we were in the in the heights, I was sitting back there just watching a, a little bit of it for the second time. And I was bawling my eyes out. Not not because I'm I'm sad, but because I, I'm just like I'm so excited to have a reason to celebrate. Um to to celebrate humanity, to celebrate a community. And I even though this is a a, a big action marvel superhero story um i i hope that it gives people a reason to to celebrate their their communities as well destin daniel creighton everybody thank you for coming appreciate it thanks for listening to another dga q a if you'd like to hear more the director's cut is available wherever you listen to podcasts and be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. We'd love to hear your feedback, and you can help fellow film buffs find the show. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is produced by the Directors Guild of America. Music is by Dan Wally.